shake it all out real quick. I've been, I got too much, uh, I got too much bad stuff in my jug over there. Okay, um, listen. Um, if if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you have those with you this morning. If you don't have, if you've come into here this morning without a Bible, please don't leave without one. Uh, there's in the pew or the seats in front of you. There's some places where there's Bibles. If you see one there, you don't have one, take it and just run out of here with it. It's fine. It's yours. It's a gift from us to you. Uh, but this morning, if you have those Bibles, uh, once again, we're back in 1 John as we continue uh, to walk through 1 John together. Uh, this morning, we are 1 John again in chapter 3, and we'll be looking at 4 through 10 specifically. Uh, last week, we looked at 1 through 3 and what it means uh, in regards to adoption as sons and daughters. Uh, we've sung about it this morning. We actually had our, our verse, uh, Galatians 3, 4 through 7, or 4 through, 4 through 7, once again, uh, speak of that reality. This morning, we're back in a test, okay? We're, we're walking through the book of 1 John. We're looking at the tests of those who are in Christ Jesus. And this morning is test 7. Test 7 is practicing Christ's righteousness. Practicing Christ's righteousness. Now, this morning's sermon is brought to you by the word practicing. Practicing is what we're going to look at for the most part this morning together. And so, um, uh, if we can, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray one more time, if we can, and then we're going to jump right into that this morning together. So, so, let us pray once again. Father God, we come before you now. I love you and I thank you for your many blessings upon our lives. Lord God, we've been able to sing about them already. We're not done yet doing that this morning. But Lord, we thank you for your word that we're about to, to, to look at together this morning. As we look at this, this letter written by John, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand, Lord God, practically what this means for us as well, living in this century, living in this place. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you do. May we worship you all the more clearly, specifically even after Sunday mornings like this together. Amen. Amen. Well, I just want to go ahead and just tell you little things. I have a manuscript before me. It's about uh, four pages, but I'm feeling a little, I don't know. I don't know. feeling a little free a little bit this morning. Don't worry, Misty. She gets scared. When I say I'm feeling free, she's like, stick to your notes. Um, um, one of the things that I was, I was uh, there's a lot of things that were happening on my way over here this morning. You know, I come from Surf City, right? So I drive a little ways, and I get a lot of time. Sometimes I listen to the radio. This morning, I turned it off. I just sat in silence. And that was probably the best thing I could have done, uh, actually, for, the, for me before I come to the pulpit. One of the things I was thinking through in light of this text and sermon is our changing culture. Our changing culture. And I'm going to actually say, not just culture out there, I'm talking about the changing culture of the church, church culture. Now, church culture doesn't always mean biblical culture. You know that, right? Just because we're a church doesn't mean that people are doing things biblically. But there's a cultural kind of situation that we live in out there that is eking its way into the family of God, the church. Uh, and I speak in generalities there. I need you to know something. A friend of mine always used to get upset with me when I talked like the church was limping or weak. I need you to know something. Did you know that the church of Jesus Christ is doing just fine? Did you know that? And it's doing fine because he is the one who undergirds her, he strengthens her, he leads her. It says that he is building his church. So if Jesus Christ is building his church, I believe that church planning, and I'm talking about in the world today, is probably doing just okay, right? You know, he's the master church planner, right? He's the missionary God in whom we serve. 
But I want to talk in regards to this cultural malaise. The day and age in which we live, brothers and sisters, there is a swift movement in Christendom, and I put that loosely in quotations, away from Scripture, away from the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, a seeking to make God more in our own image, and we bow to him rather than the God of Scripture, Jesus Christ. Now, there's also something else going on in our culture. If you've been watching anything in Christianity for a while, you see a turn away from biblical doctrine and Scripture and the glory of God in one instance, and there's another thing that's happening. How many of you have seen so many religious leaders or people who are in high positions who are falling because of indwelling sin or secret sin? People you would never have thought, could this possibly happen? And Could they lose their ministry? Could they lose their witness? Absolutely not. Bam, boom, it's happening all around us. There's a thing going on in Christianity, once again, loosely with my, my, my quotation here, something called deconversions. Those who have walked with Christ and are no longer now doing it, they're saying they're being deconverted, and those who are making Christianity to suit themselves. But brothers and sisters, this is the saddle at which someone can jump off and fall off on both ends. One instance of this, I usually don't use names or things like this, but to me, I watched this about a couple years ago. It was so horrendous that I have to, I have to let you know of it. There, is a, a, there was a, a pastor within Christendom, I would tell you that uh, this Rob Bell has uh, already, he like lost, he sold the farm. He, he's off the reservation when it comes to Christianity, okay? But I will say this, he was a prominent figure in Christianity in the last uh, probably decade, especially during the emergent church movement uh, that happened a, little, a couple of uh, uh, years back. But what he did was he wrote a couple books. One was Love Wins. He wrote another one called God's Not Angry. And he wrote a relationship book, him and his wife, called Zim Zoom, The Zim Zoom of Love. Okay? Great title, right? So The Zim Zoom of Love. Now, guess what? If you're a real godly person and you, you love Christianity, Oprah Winfrey will have you on her show. All right? So Oprah Winfrey has Rob Bell on her show. She does an interview with him, and she's asking some questions. The issue of, and it just so happens this cultural situation of uh, homosexuality came up in, in the, 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 uh, the conversation. Now, I just want you to hear what he said. I just, that's all I want to do. I want you to hear his answer to this issue that she says seems to be coming up in the church. There's issues, right? His response is this. I quote, I think culture is already there, and the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense. When you have in front of you flesh and blood people who are your brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, and co-workers and neighbors, and they love each other and just want to go through life with someone, goes on to say, continue in another part of the article, or in the interview, I think we are witnessing the death of a particular subculture that doesn't work. You sort of die or you adapt. And we have supported policies, meaning in the church, and ways of viewing the world that are actually destructive. He says that the church has taken on a mindset that's actually destructive. He goes on to say, and we've done it in the name of God, and we need to repent. Now, repent is a pretty, uh, pretty heavy word. I mean, I know repentance is getting out of favor in our culture, so much so that Rob Bell can actually even quote it. Repentance means something. 
And he's saying that we don't need to repent as sinners saved by the grace of Almighty God. He's saying that the church, we the believers, must repent for holding to Scripture. Rob Bell says that the church is irrelevant because of our adherence to the Bible. This is what's going for Christianity today, brothers and sisters. I need you to know that's on the shelf, okay? Like, you know, picking cereals, you know, what's, what's our Christianity today? Which, if I am frank, if this is the way in which he views that we become irrelevant if we hold to this, I believe that, if I'm honest, such of you, if, he, if we believe this, I'm not picking on Rob Bell, I'm just using him as an example. Rob Bell has just become irrelevant to Christianity. When we as Christians say these things and believe these things, brothers and sisters, I say this and I calm down because I just get excited about preaching God's word. I'm not, I'm not usually very angry. I may come off, I got a frown. My wife says, you've been angry since you came out of the womb, right? Brothers and sisters, listen, with all the, if I can just settle down and just say this. If we hold to these, we, even on our Christianity, even on our confession of love Jesus Christ and his glory, we are the ones who are irrelevant. We are irrelevant to Christianity. We are irrelevant for his glory in this world. D.A. Carson has said this. Sorry, I have no uh, PowerPoints today, but if you go with me, listen to to what D.A. Carson says. I liked this quote. Some Christians want enough of Christ to be identified with him, but not enough to be seriously inconvenienced. They genuinely cling to basic Christian orthodoxy, which means theology, doctrine, belief, but do not want to engage in serious Bible study. They value moral principles, especially of the public sort, but do not engage in war against inner corruptions. They fret over the quality of the preacher's sermon, perhaps, but do not worry much over the quality of their own spiritual life and prayer life. Such Christians are content with mediocrity and prove to be self-deceived. Remember last week, last week we looked at the issue of adoption, that we in this room who are sinners, who are rebels, who are enemies of God, he brought very closely near to him. He calls us sons and daughters. He's our father, our king, our Lord, and he adopts us not just as all those things, but in a real sense, we are most of us, I think, maybe, maybe I don't know, if we have some Jews among us, wonderful, you're welcome, but as Gentiles, We are called children of God. This is a grace and a mercy that we do not deserve. But however, this morning, we look once again in 1 John as we've started from the beginning, and now he's going to give us more tests. And this is another test this morning of whether or not we are truly in the faith. And so what I want us to do, as we always do, why don't we take 1 John chapter 3, and let's look at 4 and 10. And read it together as we stand in reverence of this word. Someone asks sometimes, why do you stand, Kyle, when we read God's word? Because I want to communicate something to you as a pastor. That whatever I have to say is subordinate to what God has to say. His word is power and truth. So this morning, let's give it due honor and diligence. And it says there, 1 John 3, 4 through 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning, also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. 
No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Lord God, be with us this morning in your word. Help your word to shine brightly more than man's mouth or opinions. Lord God, I pray that we would stand in in complete submission to your word. May we not depart from it, not depart from us. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. It is in your name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated once again. This morning, really quickly, I'm going to give you three uh, 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 points that I'd like to make. But really, honestly, the points are going to come at the end of the sermon. Uh, you're going to think, man, uh, this is the one, those points were insignificant. Well, no, they're not, but they're going to be really short at the end. It's what I want us to, I want us to look at this word practicing here in a minute more than anything else. But before I do that, I'm going to go ahead and give you the three points now, just so that you know when they come. So from this morning's text, I want you to understand number one. Number one is this. Sin, sin is incompatible with the law of God. Sin is incompatible with the law of God, okay? Number two, sin is incompatible with the work of Christ, the work of Jesus Christ. Number three, sin is incompatible with the work of the Holy Spirit. Sin is incompatible with the work of the Holy Spirit. But before we get into those three points, I want us to, to understand possibly, it's quite possibly the theme of the text that we've just read. When you look at three, specifically four through ten, the theme of this text is that becoming a true Christian, and what I mean by that, I mean being a disciple of Jesus Christ, results in a life that is dramatically different from the life we once lived apart from him. Being in Christ causes us to live a different way and a different life in regards or in comparison to the life we once lived apart from Jesus Christ. And I'll explain many of those things and what that means here in a second. Now, one of the things I want you to know this morning is this. Really quickly before I get started. This is not one of those sermons where I start teaching you about religion. We just sung that song, Rock of Ages, right? Uh, this is, I need you to know something right now. If you're here and you're thinking that I'm going off and start riffing on be better, do better, you're wrong. You can't be better, you can't do better. Only Jesus Christ is he who is righteous, amen? So I don't want you to hear me right there. As I'm getting ready to go into this, I don't want you to hear he's trying to tell me be good. You know, be, do, do, don't do bad things, do good things, that kind of thing. No, 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 listen. We're going to talk about something that happens in the, by nature in the heart of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Something outside of yourself. It's called alien righteousness. It comes from another. Not only applaud, but also seen. Okay? So this is what I want you to understand. Really quickly, really simply, this is a recap. When we come to know Jesus Christ, we will see new desires. We will have new appetites. We will have new motives, new loves. And yes even have new hates, new dislikes. Throughout Scripture, it is clear that salvation 
in Christ does not only change our status before God, and that is true, justification is true, which everyone should probably want, but it also will have an effect on our nature as well. It will lead to something called sanctification, which, brothers and sisters, will be a process to be more like Jesus Christ with every waking moment of our lives until the day we die, which means it will never be finished, it will never be complete. Not one of us will stand and go, look how perfect I am. One day he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into glory. Man, how many of you are looking forward to glory? Man, how many of you are tired already? Well, I'm, I'm almost 40. I keep telling almost because I'm not 40. All right, I'm, thir- I'm in my 30s. All right, not 40, but I will be 40. Brothers and sisters, I have, you hear this a lot. I'm already tired. Can you believe it? And, and if you're older than 40, don't you make fun of me. I know. I get it. I, I, I'm going to tell you my, my wisdom. I'm wise enough to know I'm not a very wise man, okay? That's, that's the extent of my wisdom. And I know when I'm 70 or say, if a guy allows me to, I'll be thinking, oh, that poor whippersnapper, that kid, that kid in 40s. But I'm just telling you, I am tired. And I look forward to the day of glory, Amen. And here is before us, I want you to see something. Colossians 3, listen to this, 1 through 10. Talk about this newness of life in Jesus Christ. Listen, I love this text. Listen to this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. Things, glory, seek them. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you, will also, you also will appear with him in glory. Listen to this. Put to death. That means kill it. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these, you too, once walked. Don't forget. Don't ever forget. You too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have, listen, put off the old self with its, here it is, practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Question. Kyle, are you saying that if I become a Christian, then I will never, ever sin again? The answer to that is, that is not what I'm saying. I am not saying that. You know I'm not, because John has already told us that in 1 John 1.8. If you remember, we went back there. And it also says another place, if we say claim to be without sin, we are what? Liars, which means we just sinned again, right? See, liar, sin, right? We are, we, we continue to sin. What does the Apostle Paul say? Oh, who will deliver me from this old body of death? This thing is corrupted. The earth, the flesh, the devil, the pride of life, the age-old enemies against our soul come at us. Brothers and sisters, we are not Jesus Christ. That's why we serve and worship and fall at our feet before Jesus because nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. It is all about Christ. 
Christians, listen to me, don't, don't throw rocks at me yet, still sin. They do. However, however, Christians will have a new relationship with that sin. They are no longer in a love relationship, friendship with it, as we've discussed and talked about already through 1 John. Now, something I wish to draw your attention to in regards to this is the word practice. You see it in your text this morning. Before that, did you not just hear it in Colossians as well? Colossians says, put off the old self with its practices. Okay? But then this morning in 1 John, in 1 John, we see it again and as well. We see the word practice in seven verses used six times. Practice, six times, seven verses. Four times, it's referring to practicing sin. Two times in our text, it's referred to practicing righteousness. I want to differentiate those two really quickly. Practicing sin, four times. Two times, practicing righteousness. The word practice in your text this morning is poeo. Doesn't that sound pretty? Poeo. It's the Greek, which means, it literally means to make or to do through, to make something or to do something, listen to this, through practicing it, by abiding with it, continuing along to put your arm around it, hold its hand and journey with it. It's something you do consecutively and consistently. And that's the word practice in our text this morning. In English, Our language, derived from the Greek, it means to perform an activity or exercise repeatedly or regularly in order to improve or maintain, listen, one's proficiency in something. Second meaning, it's to carry out and or perform a particular activity, method, or custom, listen, habitually, and regularly. That is the word before us in Greek, and this is the word before us in English in our dictionary as to what it means to practice something. How many of you have ever heard, practice makes what? Practice makes perfect. Last night, I was able to sit in front of a television and watch an NBA basketball game. I know most of you are probably like, I don't watch NBA, it's ridiculous. I felt the same way too, but listen, uh, Steph Curry was playing last night, and uh, he's, he's chasing history right now. Last night, I watched Steph Curry. That, let me tell you something about Steph Curry. I, do y'all know that he's pretty good at basketball? You don't, you don't have to agree on politics. You don't have to believe what he thinks about. You ha, he's, a, he's good at the b-ball, right? He's good at the putting the, the little b- the ball in a hoop. He's really good at it. And I was mesmerized. I let my Elijah stay up uh, really late, like 11-something, in Misty's disdain. Like, he's got church in the morning, Right? But we don't ever get to watch Steph that much anymore. And so we, we're watching Steph Curry. That guy is good at basketball. But you know what? I also know about Steph Curry. He Listen, I just, just kinda, I'm going to tell you something about him real quick. Ten games stretch of 30-plus points. He's, got, he's tied with Kobe Bryant for the number one best stretch of basketball in NBA history in the common era, Right? He's doing it, and I'm watching it, and I'm going, man. But the thing about Steph Curry is, I, one of the things that I love at Wild like Golden State Warriors is not because I like California or the Golden State Warriors. I, I remember, I used to, you remember, I'm from North Carolina, too. I actually used to live in a place called Gastonia, right? That's why I drink out of a jug, all right? 
Castonia, and guess what? Charlotte Hornets is right there on my doorstep. Guess who I watched as a kid? Dale Curry. And I watched Dale Curry, and here's the thing about Dale Curry and Steph Curry. Steph Curry has been playing basketball, shooting with his dad since he was this big. Last night, he was doing things that my son and I looked at him and going, is this even, this is impossible. How did he make that shot? Tell you how he made it. Practice. Lots of it. He is arguably the best. He is the best shooter in NBA history. He got good because he practiced it. One of the things that I did often, like especially in Iowa, is uh, I would go out and I'd get my bow and I'd set up targets and I would, I would shoot off the, we had a big a high area for the deck. I would shoot off the deck. I would put stuff in front of things. I would do different angles. I would shoot my bow prone. I would shoot my bow. Listen, I've actually shot deer laying down with my bow. My wife's embarrassed right now. She's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I, I, I do all these things. Why? I do it so I can become proficient for the time that I need to put an arrow through a deer, right? And I'm really, bad, I'm really sad that I didn't have PowerPoint because I, I thought that would be the moment I was going to show my picture of my trophies or something. But the thing is, the thing is, you know what I noticed? I practice to get good at shooting a bow. Steph Curry gets, she practices to get good at shooting a ball through a hoop. You know what I noticed about Steph Curry last night? Did you know that he missed a couple? Did you know that, I know it's hard to believe, that I've actually not found my deer that I've shot an arrow at? I know it's hard to believe that. I know it's hard to believe that. I don't like to admit it, but it's true. The issue that I'm trying to say is, though we practice to get good at something, that doesn't always mean that we hit our shot. We're not perfect. Christ is perfect. So here is the principle, though. As believers, there should be seen a practicing, a growing to be more proficient away from one thing. We practice to turn our backs on sin and the things that bring God dishonor. And we turn and begin to practice as a way of life as Christians towards something else. Righteousness in Jesus Christ. Christians do not practice. Listen, the word practice here means to get good at something. So we as Christians, we don't, we don't practice to get good at sin. No. We practice to get good at righteousness. Something that we cannot do apart from Jesus, but it is the lifeblood of who we are. While we may at times stumble and fall, we do not seek to put on its jersey sin and join its practice squad. That makes no sense. So my question this morning, Christian, is this. What are you practicing? What are you practicing? The, pop, the popular gospel of the day, much of what goes for Christianity has become devoid of this truth. It's unpopular to teach what I'm preaching right now. You're not going to build a big church off the, bas, uh, the, the back of what I just said. The message of the gospel today is so watered down and man-centered that it often only acknowledges an emotional moment in someone's life, an event, an aspect maybe of easy believism of simply raising a hand or walking down an aisle or putting your name on a card to affirm that men and women are truly in Christ. And once we have done this, we need not, and others, question if such is true or if it is a true reality in the life and the heart of ourselves or in others. Listen, prayed a prayer, she prayed a prayer, she did this, she did that. Now stop wondering about it. Stop asking about it. I'm not talking about questioning one's salvation and others. Don't do that. 
And have you taken the test? This is a test you don't want to get wrong. Because when you finally get the grade, it will be too late. Are you truly in Christ? I beg you. I told you, I'm not preaching. I'm not a hellfire brimstone preacher who's like going to hit my Bible and say, oh, you, no, I'm begging. I, I, I desire for you to really think about this. Repentance away from one thing and onto another. Do you, as believers of Christ Jesus, have desires for God's word, for holiness, for God's glory? Remember, the Bible says things like, we will hunger and thirst for righteousness. Some of us in America have not probably went very long without having food in our lives. I'm thinking as Americans, maybe we haven't had a, a long period of time where we haven't had water. You try to not have water for a while. Eat, eat for some odd 30 some odd days without food and watch what you'll do for it. You watch some of the most respectful, respectful men and women in foreign countries do without food and they will do the most despicable things to feed their families. This is what it's saying. Have you hungered and have you thirsted as believers for the glory of God in Christ Jesus? Do you have new desires and new visions? Listen for me, not, not, not for me, listen to me, for his mission. You know that Jesus Christ saves you not only from yourself and the wrath of God, but he saves you to something. And he allows us to wear the priestly robe and the, and the ring that says with his, with his signet on it. And we become messengers of the king. He saves us to be in service. How could it, one someone said, how could it that the service of an earthly king would be considered an honor and not the service of a heavenly king? How could it be considered a sacrifice? It's not. We get called as enemies, as rebels of Jesus Christ to end his service. So we are saved to a mission. And listen, do we as Christians have delight and joy in Christ and the gospel? How have we come so far within our culture? Even Christian, churchy culture, that such as these are no longer the prism and the evidences of those who are truly made new in Jesus Christ. Many today would say that it is unloving for me to state that these things that I've just said and I've just spoken, I would say that it is unloving for me not to say those things. It is actually hate-filled arrogance for me not to say these things in the day and age in which we live. Brothers and sisters, it is growing dark. What will we do with the light that God has given us? I pray to God that our saltiness will not lose its saltiness. Speak and do it gently and humbly and kindly. Do it with reverence before God over man. Strength with boldness because he is worthy. And by the way, brothers and sisters in this world are dying, going to hell apart from our saving work of Jesus Christ. Those of you who have the cure, forget like coronavirus right now. People are really scared about corona. We're having some, some, some vi- people can take in, you know, shots. To, you have the, we have a thing, this disease called sin, and it kills everyone that it ever touches. How could it we who have seen, who have the vaccine in our back pockets, how can we put it off into a corner and tell, shh, no one about it? It's despicable, we can't. As Rob Bell would suggest, I risk sounding like a dinosaur. This 39-year-old becomes irrelevant to what the culture needs currently. And I say no. 
To not say such things would make me irrelevant to Christianity. And it would make this guy irrelevant to the needs of the world around us. All right? I told you three points. Don't worry. They're, they're, they're strong. Point number one. That was all introduction. So, that's right. Just, just give me just 45 more minutes, okay? That's right. One. Point one. Sin is incompatible with the work of Christ. Look with me in 5 and 8 once again. It says there, you know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Christ takes the sins of those who are his, and in him there is no sin, which is the reason why he can take them. Then it says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Sin is incompatible with the law of God. It literally, it literally means that sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness. If you remember, sin is any failure to meet the moral standard of God in our actions, what we do, in our attitude, our minds, and our hearts. And listen, this is the big, the big whammy, and in our nature, born into it. Before we thought anything or did anything, sinners. So this is the moral failure to meet God's uh, standard in action, attitude, and nature. And it is inconceivable that a Christian should practice as to get good at sin, which is rebellion against the law of God. In other words, it is rebellion against God himself. When I was in the military, I'm going to tell you something that would have been really, really hard for me to swallow as a soldier. If I was in the army and we were overseas, and I have been overseas in this regard, someone who's a part of our camp, our military, our army, someone I'd consider wearing our uniform, looks at me one night, and he says to me, hey, Kyle, I'm with you guys. I'm with y'all. I'm a part of what you guys are doing. But he, the only problem with this soldier who's with us wearing our uniform, he continually goes over to the other enemy's camp to train. Where's, where's, uh, where's the such as, oh, he's over there, he's, he's over there practicing with the, the enemy again. Oh, really? Okay. Then he comes, he's back, he's back with us, we're at the mess hall, we're eating, and he says, hey guys, look, uh, the weekend's coming, I know we're in a wartime situation, I'm with you guys, you know, <laughs> I'm with you guys, but on Friday night, I'm going to go out with the guys from the other side, and we're going to hang out for all weekend. But on Monday, I'm back at it, right? I'm back at it. Brothers and sisters, listen. Hey, Monday, I'm cheering for you when the battle begins. I'm going to tell you something right now. If I was in the military and I'm sitting here and a guy's wearing my uniform and saying, I'm with you, but he trains with the enemy. If I'm sitting there and he says, I'm with you guys, but he hangs all his time and attention with the enemy, I'm going to be a little bit nervous about the, the knife that's getting ready to come in my back. Now, you could be you fighting the enemy this way and it's friendly fire. He's not very friendly, by the way. He's not very friendly at all. This is a problem within Christianity. Sin is a total disregard of the commands and laws of God. Therefore, as God's adopted children, it must grieve us. Listen, as I told you, I am not teaching works this morning. Do this and don't do that. I'm going to tell you, I want you to hear me. I, really, listen. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. That is so tiring. It's tiring because it's impossible. You're like the hamster on the wheel that's getting nowhere. 
Jesus Christ has come to do away with your tiredness. Because what you were unable to do, he has done at the cross of Jesus Christ. And in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, no more spinning the wheels. Rock of ages becomes a real reality in the life of a believer. This is not about religion. This is not about doing. This is about resting. This is about trusting. This is about hungering and thirsting for something outside of this world and yourself. Jesus Christ. No, I am not seeking, or excuse me, no, I am seeking to show you that in Christ, the gospel, the word, his word, and through the spirit, there will be a hatred of sin that becomes our very nature. Not do something. Charles Spurgeon says this. This day, my God, I hate sin, not because it damns me. See, watch this, watch this. Not because it damns me, but because it has done the wrong. To have grieved my God is the worst grief for me. Sin hurts the heart of a believer not because we're scared of something God's going to do. No, because our sin grieves the heart of our beloved. When people do stuff to me sometimes and I don't have a really big connection with them, I, I can kind of let it go sometimes. Naomi, we laugh about this in the, in the office because uh, we, we just talk about like if, I heard, if, I, if my wife, if I did something to my wife or if I said something to Naomi in the office and, 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 and it kind of hurt her or whatever, or her feelings, or whatever, I'm, that's going to trouble me. Why? Because I don't want my, my wife to be, I, I care about what Misty thinks. I care about what Naomi thinks in the, in the office. We, we just, that, that would get in my mind and I can't think about it. I, I, go to, I can't sleep, right? Other people take shots all the time. I'm like, eh. But when you care about my wife, what she thinks about me, has more power than anybody in this world. She is nothing in comparison to God, my Savior, my King, my Lord, my Father. My sin must trouble this heart. Because my Father, my God, my King, my Lord, He is good. He's good to me. He's been nothing but good to me. So it should grieve the heart of the believer. Rob Bell's view... He is fine to grieve God as long as he is not grieving any man. Brothers and sisters, such a view makes us in Christianity now irrelevant. Two, sin is incompatible with the work of Christ. Sin is incompatible with the work of Christ. We saw that in 5 through 8 that I just read. Jesus never meant words regarding sin. Please understand, Jesus was not placed on a cross he was not placed on a cross because of the miracles he he done. He did not he did not get put on a cross because of the distribution of, of food that he is known for. He was put on a cross because he opened his mouth and said things that should not be. They're inconceivable for a humanity that loves themselves above God. And he must die for it to claim to be the son of God. Who do you think you are? Speak of the glory of God. To talk of sin and repentance. Brothers and sisters, no, Jesus did not go to the cross because he gave kids shoes. Jesus did not go to the cross because he gave people food. He went to the cross because he opened his mouth and made God more important than man. Jesus' words, love is his father's glory, and the rebukes made to people, like the Pharisees, made many people uncomfortable. But Jesus was about the truth. 
John Piper has said, I know of no other way to triumph over sin long term than to gain a distaste for it because of a superior satisfaction in Christ. Repentance and sanctification is not only away from one thing, sin, but it is to another thing, Jesus Christ. Repentance goes two ways. We must repent. Turn. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Three, sin is incompatible with the work of the Holy Spirit. We see this in verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot, means it's impossible to keep on sinning because he has been born of God. The Holy Spirit, if you remember Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will see it to what? Completion. God is at work in his children. Some of us run faster than others. Now, I need you to know something real quick before I do my conclusion. You need to be careful of the people of God. You need to be careful because sometimes we judge each other on how far we've gotten. Like, I'm here in my Christian walk, and this brother's here. Well, let me see where you're all looking at. So this is going backwards. So maybe someone's right here. Oh, well, he's immature. He's got, you know, this person's a little bit more mature. Look at that. This person right here should be a teacher among us. And I always want to say to people really quick, you need to be careful. Be careful when you do this. We're all running at different rates and speeds. We have different things going on in our lives. But I need you to know something. Sometimes the man who or woman who stands here, you don't realize they, they started over here. Be careful not to judge too harshly. Where did they start? Some of you were raised in the church. You popped out Southern Baptists. You know, it's right here. You're over here. Oh, 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 you've come this far. You see what I'm saying with this? Is what I'm saying is we need to be compassionate and loving to each one of us. The question is not, not how far we've gone, but are we going in the direction of Christ? Are we progressing to be more like Jesus? Because God's children will. It's got Christ's promise upon it. They will conclusion well first off let me say this if you look in verse 6 it says practicing sin is incompatible with the holy spirit verse 9 says it is impossible to continue on in it conclusion if you are sitting in your seat this morning saying to yourself you know i just really need to get better at being a christian listen to me with all the love i can listen to me stop it stop you might be sitting there and you mean well and you're sitting there saying to yourself, I really need to be a better person. I need to become a better husband, another, a better wife, a father, a mother, a son, or a daughter. Listen to me. Stop it. Those are all good things. But you're missing something. What's impossible for you to do, it is possible in what Christ has done. There will be change. There will be progression. But brothers and sisters, listen to me. What is really happening in the gospel should make you the most humble, compassionate, non-boastful people on the face of the planet. Because what have you done but bring your sin? You must ask yourself the question, why and for what purpose? What is the motive for you wanting to be a better father, husband, mother, child, whatever it may be? If not for the glory of God, then it falls short of everything. Listen. 
Do not be deceived by religion this morning. This pastor is telling you to run to Christ, not to religion. Run to Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, listen to me, church. My prayer is that we would make Christianity relevant again. By the way, Christianity has always been relevant. Did you know that? I don't want y'all to stone me on my way out of here. Like, all right, Kyle said Christianity is no longer relevant. We've got to make it relevant again. No, it's always been relevant. But brothers and sisters, it's, by, it's time that the children of God not be ashamed of it being relevant. It is relevant. And if it had not been for the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would not stand here today saying these things. He is worthy of the glory to his name. Amen? And church, I want to be a part of it. And my prayer is that you as well want to be a part of it. Test seven. It's all about practicing. Not an expert. Not the model. But do you practice righteousness away from practicing sin? Amen? Let us pray. And music team, come on up. Father God, we come before you this morning. And I thank you for the reality and the truth, Lord God. I, I, this is, it does not bring my heart low, the fact that I cannot work enough or believe enough or cry enough to have enough passion and zeal to suffice what you desire. That is good news, Lord, because even on my best day, I seem to constantly be messing up. Christ, you have never messed up. You are the sinless perfect. Apart from you, Lord God, I am nothing. And I am so grateful, Lord God, for myself, for those of us in this room who know you well, savingly, Lord, that you will not let one of us be plucked out of your hand. You will not lose a single soul. This, too, is good news. Lord, may we run to you. Help us, I pray, to practice well righteousness. We thank you. We love you for your truth and all that is before us this morning. Amen.